What's up, queens? Welcome to the Female Dating Strategy Podcast, the meanest female-only podcast on the internet. I'm Ro. And I'm Savannah. And this episode is our second installment in the Scrotes of History series that we're running. Scrotes of History! Because as you all can probably tell, I'm quite the historian. So I feel like combining FDS with history is a great way to make use of one of my many talents and interests. A very, very appreciated talent. <laughs> I can't do any British acts. I have no idea, but I feel like I completely lost my ability to do a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> what, so you're talking to me? <laughs> I think that's what it is. Like, I've become ear blind to the differences between the way you talk and how I talk. And so now, I don't know. I just can't do it. This is, the voices have just merged into one. I feel the same about American accents. Yeah, honestly has. <laughs> Your like your faux American accent's pretty funny though. I feel like I do fake British accents all the time. You've only done a faux American accent a few times. <laughs> I'm not going to embarrass myself by doing it now. No, okay, no, no, do one, do one, do it real quick. Oh no, I'm. Say <laughs> America is the best country that ever was and ever will be. Go. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. Fucking <laughs> fuck on the spot. America is the best country <laughs> that ever was. I don't know. Southern Texas is the one I can do the most. Like, you know, America like, is the best country that ever was and ever will be. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In our last episode, we obviously spoke about the Romanovs and we went to Russia. But now we are coming back to Britain and talking about the Titanic the halos and the phalos on the titanic which is quite timely actually halos and phalos i've literally just booked a cruise to the caribbean and i feel like this is just very expensive exposure therapy because when i was reading up about the titanic like five years ago i thought wow that sounds grim pete so i thought i need to get on a ship to see what it's like so this is just very very expensive exposure therapy this cruise really so learning about the titanic actually made you want to experience a cruise in real life yeah that's interesting. Yeah, no, it's weird. It's really, really weird. <laughs> Instead of like, you know, just hanging out and enjoying the cruise ship <laughs> activities and seeing the world. They're just, yeah, Titanic. You built your interest off tragedy. Okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, disaster capitalist. That is me. I'm sort of like hoping that we don't go and actually see the historical side of Titanic because that would mean the ship is sunk. But, you know, yeah, I see what you mean. The Titanic is quite an interesting story when you actually look at the humans behind it obviously everybody's seen i'm sure you've seen it row the the 1997 film directed by james cameron with you know leonardo dicaprio and kate winslet and that was a very very romanticized version of it but actually the actual story is really where you see the men separated from the scrotes so to give a bit of background obviously everybody knows that titanic you know it sank off the coast of the atlantic in 1912 in april 1912 and what you see in the lead up, I guess hindsight is always twenty twenty. So with, throughout this episode, I'm going to try not to come down too hard on certain actions because, you know, at the time it was okay. It just turned out that it ended, you know, badly in that instance. But even still, some of the characters that I'll talk about, they were actually condemned by the press at the time and by the public at the time because they were such scrotes. So anyway... If we go through the timelines, so obviously Titanic was built. They were, you know, saying it was the unsinkable ship. And now that sounds ridiculous to us because obviously we know that it sank and it sank badly. 
God laughed at their hubris. Yeah, no. Um, even like the captain, um, the captain of the ship, Edward Smith, was literally saying the same year that it sank that he couldn't think of any situation where the Titanic would sink. I guess he hadn't seen an iceberg yet, basically. But in those times, getting a ship, so the Titanic was sailing a route from Southampton to New York. It was like getting the train. It was so common and accidents were actually really, really rare. And ships, you know, considering the time, they were built pretty well. So even when ships collided with objects at sea, they could often complete their maiden voyage. So that was why a lot of the people involved with the Titanic and even the press at the time, they believed that the ship was truly unsinkable because they hadn't had a maritime disaster before. And the way the ship was built, technically speaking, that should have been true. Obviously, it wasn't true. So on its maiden voyage, it picked up people in Southampton, in Ireland, and then to France, and it was steaming towards New York as well. Now, at the time, as it was speeding through the Atlantic, they were receiving, you know, warnings of ice in the sea. But back then, you know, ice warnings are not taken as they are now. They're taken more as advisories. So basically, Captain Edward Smith just ignored them and just kept going until it got to about 11 p.m. at night. And one of the lookouts, so again, you know, ship technology, they relied on two men basically looking out into the distance and seeing if there was anything coming. And so on the 14th of April, they are steaming towards New York. It's really late. It's very dark, which is actually quite dangerous for a ship. A lot of the passengers were saying that on the night of the accident, the sea was like glass. And that might sound quite nice and pretty, but actually that is a big, big warning sign of ice, you know, that they weren't aware of at the time. So anyway, at around 11 p.m., you know, one of the lookouts, he rings downstairs and says, iceberg right ahead. Now, given the size of the Titanic, it's not easy to turn a ship around. Like if you look at cruise ships today, they are absolutely gigantic. In fact, cruise ships today, they make the Titanic look like a kayak boat in terms of size. So if you can imagine trying to turn around a modern day cruise ship, you can see the difficulties in, you know, that might come with essentially turning around a cruise ship, especially when it was going at maximum speed as well. So given that the Titanic was like the largest moving object, for even for the Titanic to come to a complete stop, it would take about five minutes and they didn't have five minutes to miss the iceberg. So what they did was that they tried to turn the ship to avoid the iceberg. But unfortunately for them, because icebergs are very, like tip of the iceberg isn't just an expression, it's an actual thing. So majority of an iceberg is below the surface. As they were passing the iceberg, it left a glancing gash along the hull, which was around 300 meters, which is basically a very, very big rip in the hull. So... So that was that. Initially, they didn't think there was anything wrong. So passengers only noticed a little bump. They noticed some bits of ice, but they didn't really think it was a big deal. But on the maiden voyage, the ship's architect, Thomas Andrews, was on and was also sailing on the maiden voyage because at the time, the chief architect of ships tended to go on the maiden voyage just to see if there was any issues, if there was any modifications. And so, and so Thomas Andrews was on the ship on the night that it happened. So he goes down to inspect the damage and he basically says to Captain Smith that they're fucked, basically. 
the Titanic was designed to, so this is like ship technical stuff, but the Titanic was designed to float if uh, four compartments were flooded. So compartments are like, how do I say it? So if you think of like an ice tray row and at the bottom of the ship, the Titanic had 16 compartments. So if you think of an ice tray. If only four of the ice trays were full, the Titanic would stay afloat and would be able to continue her journey. But unfortunately for them, there were six that were flooded. Oh, so it was like just over the limit of what would have saved the ship. Yes. Yeah. So when six are flooded, then more water gets in. And then as the ship continues to tilt downwards due to the weight of the water, then more water gets in. So basically, Thomas Andrew says, yeah, we're fucked. We've got an hour and that's it. So at this point, Captain Smith is that he'd been at sea for like over 40 years. He was a very, very experienced captain to the point where he was known as the millionaire's captain. The richest people in the world, they would wanted to sail with Captain Smith. He was a very, very competent captain, but he knew at this point that they were fucked because even if all the lifeboats were full at the time, it wasn't required for ships to have a seat for everybody on a lifeboat because like ship sinkings were so rare the purpose of the lifeboats was to transfer passengers almost like on a relay run to the rescue ship it wasn't meant to be that the actual ship is going to sink and people have nowhere to go so captain smith did the maths and realized that even if all the lifeboats were full over half of the ship's passengers would end up in the sea with no chance of survival, basically. So this was really the first and last, you know, naval disaster, you know, like of his entire career, basically. And so he says a very controversial command that is despised by scrotes today. And he says, basically, women and children first. And this command was interpreted differently by different members of the crew. So when you say women and children first, some members of the crew interpreted that to mean women and children only. So when they were boarding passengers onto the lifeboats, they wouldn't allow any men on the lifeboat. So some women had to be separated from their husbands because they just refused to board. But other members of the crew, they would allow men to board if all the women and children in, in the immediate vicinity of the lifeboats had boarded. So if there were any spare seats or if they needed somebody to row the boat on the Atlantic, they would let a man on the ship. And I was reading about this order and the scrotes are really mad about it, but it's the law of nature. Like if we think about it, right, you know, you can repopulate the world with only one man and a village of women, basically like, right. It's just basic. <laughs> yeah. It's just basic biology there. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, they can get mad all they want to, but that's, yeah, <laughs> we didn't make the rules, right? <laughs> we were just born. Even other men, they realize that women have inherent, inherent value that should be protected in the case of a disaster like the Titanic. Even they realize that. And also some of that as well, like when you see like during the, the mustering of the passengers, so when they were rousing the passengers, you saw some of the crew members, they actually had to pull like guns on the men to stop them from rushing the boats so that women and children could get on first. Losers. And there's a rumor that one of the officers, William Murdoch, he actually shot a passenger for trying to got in the boat when he wasn't supposed to. So... At the time, again, the maritime laws for ships were quite relaxed in the sense that they didn't have to do lifeboat drills. They didn't have to have enough lifeboats. 
even though the ship's designer, Thomas Andrews, he wanted more lifeboats on the ship, he was overruled by people at the White Star Line who owned the Titanic, basically because they didn't want the extra lifeboats to obstruct the views of rich people, basically. So that was the reason why. But Titanic could have held enough lifeboats for everybody. And so within all that palaver, after about two hours, which was pretty quick for a ship to ship of that size to sink, the Titanic goes to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Now, when the US and the UK, they did a massive inquiry because it was the first time that that so many people had died. So it's estimated that 1,600 people died. Captain Smith died as well. Most of the crew died. And so, you know, they were looking at various actors in the scene to see what part they played. So, so let's start looking at the phalos of the Titanic. Okay, and so the first one is J. Bruce Ismay, who was the managing director of the White Star Line in 1912. So that was a company that owned the Titanic, and he was on the ship at the time. So J. Bruce Ismay was slightly unfairly, perhaps, but it wasn't entirely unfairly. He was criticised for overruling Thomas Andrews' suggestion to have more lifeboats on the ship. And his... because. His justification was that it would block the view of the first class passengers. It would block the what passengers? It would essentially block the view of the first class passengers because the lifeboats, this is definitely elitist. Oh my God. Once again, capitalism puts the rest of us in harm's way. Once again, capitalism is the reason why the rich uh, get to live and the poor get to suffer. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And It was doubly bad because the lifeboats on the Titanic, they were on, the people in first class were the closest to them as well. So this is why if you look at the list of survivors, the number of first class passengers who survived is disproportionately more than the third class passengers who survived because they were basically the closest to the lifeboats as well. So, and the fact that J. Bruce Ismay basically stepped off the ship, he was criticised for that as well, especially when other, you know, senior crew members such as Captain Smith, such as Thomas Andrews, like they all died. People felt like he should have, <laughs> he should have died as well. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit like, ooh. but he managed to get in a lifeboat and he was criticized for that, like massively to the point where he never ever spoke about the Titanic in his life ever again. Even his grandchildren didn't know that he was on the ship until he was in his, I think in his last year of life when he finally spoke about it. So he even knew that it was a monumental failure, the Titanic, and his role in that as well. So that was failure number one. And I sort of feel like, I mean, there was also an alleged rumour which was portrayed in the Titanic film that J. Bruce Ismay was encouraging Captain Smith to go faster than normal so they could almost like break a world record and get to New York faster than the advertised time, which would make the Titanic seem even more impressive as well. So there's that. Like the next one is Captain Stanley Lord. So when the Titanic struck the iceberg, they started sending off distress flares. But at the time, again, distress flares or like rockets on the ship, they were not deemed a distress signal like that universally it was just deemed like all oh, ships is, is sending rockets and so uh so captain stanley lord was the captain of the ss californian 
you know, which is like now um, like known to have been the ship that was nearest to the Titanic when she struck the iceberg. So if the SS Californian had responded, you know, when they saw the distress flares, they could have potentially saved more passengers. But when it happened, Stanley Lord's crew were like, you know, this ship is, you know, sending off flares. Like a ship is not going to be sending off flares in the middle of the night for nothing. But basically, Stanley Lord basically refused to act on that or refused to contact the ship, which was a Titanic that was sending flares and just went back to bed. So he was roundedly condemned for that as well. If he listened to his crew members, basically, you know, then the outcome could have been different. And, you know, Stanley Lord was known to be quite a difficult captain in that he didn't really treat his crew members very well, didn't really respect them. And so when they were telling him, like, I think this is something serious, he just didn't really, he just didn't act on it, basically. So that's the next one. That's the next phalo. Up next is Masabumi Hosono. This wasn't a phalo that I determined. This was a phalo that was determined by this passenger's own people. So Hosono was a Japanese passenger, a Japanese civil servant who was on the Titanic at the time, and he survived the sinking. But he was roundedly condemned by the Japanese government, press and public for surviving the disaster when so many women and children died as well, because they felt like that's very dishonourable to survive such a event when women and children died. So this wasn't a failure that was determined by me. It was more contemporary failure. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, I sort of get the logic behind saying that you should have stayed on the ship and died as well. But I also think for Japan, it was also a point of like pride as well. They take their, I guess, their chivalry quite seriously. Well, men are always telling, are always like, circle jerking to their own heroism that doesn't always exist right so there's always like what it could have shoot us about like what i would have did is i would have went down in the ship it reminds me of like the aftermath of 9 11 where every guy was pretending that if he had been on one of the planes that crashed or that was hijacked that things would have went totally different no way exactly so was that a thing i didn't know that yeah 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 anytime there's any type of disaster there just seems to be like a mythos that surrounds it a heroism mythos and it always seems to be mostly men who imagine if they were in that situation how differently things would have gone and how much they would have been a hero and inadvertently they project that everybody there is like some kind of coward but the truth of the matter is and we've seen this over and over again when there has been tragedy i mean it's scattered right like there's always a few people who are heroic who emerge there's just as many women if not more women who, who often practice heroism in this type of situations and that um, a lot of these guys just have delusions of grandeur about what have been the proper and right thing to do in the type of decision like they would have made so i mean i take all of this as like a grain of salt because like when you're making those decisions in the face of a tragedy everybody you don't know how you're going to react nobody does and i feel like i guess with the japanese passenger it's like less of a i guess i suppose it's a mid fail i mean i included him on this list because his own people deemed him a failo but it's like less of a failo than like you know the captain of the ship surviving which has happened before like recently well not recently but 11 years ago in italy in the costa concordia you know the captain there he Basically, he tried to do a, a salute maneuver, which is where they bring the cruise ship close to the port for like basically showboating, like no pun intended. Basically, it's like a 
tourist maneuver and he ended up crashing it into rocks, right? 32 people died and he somehow makes it off the ship. But his story was that he tripped and fell into the lifeboat. And it's like, why couldn't you trip and fall into the sea? How convenient. And even the Italian Coast Guard at the time, they were like, get the fuck back on the ship. Like, you're the captain. Like, you can't abandon your ship. You need to be like the last one off. But he survived. And as a result, he ended up being sentenced to 16 years in prison for manslaughter, a ship abandonment, as it should be as well. So I guess if it's a passenger surviving, it's less... I guess, Thalo than, I guess, a member of the crew or the captain saving themselves. Because that's sort of like, it's even like a legal thing. Like if a captain abandoned ship and people die under their watch, then that's actually a legal matter. As we've seen with Costa Concordia, they can and should go to prison. Um, I'm not saying the captain should die with the ship, but they should at least be the last person off and not be saying I tripped and fell into a lifeboat, but you're absolutely dry. And again, with the Titanic, when the lifeboats were being, you know, after the ship had sunk and the passengers in the lifeboats realised that actually not everybody made it off the ship. So, but you have about 1,000 people in the sea, Atlantic Ocean, screaming for help. It was the women who were trying to urge the men to go back and pick up more passengers. And it was the male passengers that refused and said no, because they were worried that the people in the sea who were dying of hypothermia and drowning you know, they would overturn the lifeboat. So again, it was in that moment, it was still women who were concerned about the, about the welfare of others in quite a stressful situation. So another like failure I want to add, not so much Titanic related, but this is something that I've spoken about. This is a bit of a tangent on my Twitter account. So on the Titanic, John Jacob Astor was on board and he was the richest man or one of the richest men in the world at the time. And he was with his young wife, much younger wife, actually, Madeline, who was like eight months pregnant with their child. And he didn't survive the sinking. He died. But what was the reason why I added him into this list? Because it's more like posthumously, the contents of his will were such that if his young wife remarried, then she would lose access that basically he cut her out of his will, basically. Which is something that, you know, as we go through this historical series, I'm going to touch on this more, but it's something that is actually very, very common with wealthy men in a such that they'll put in a clause where if their wife or if their ex-wife remarries, they will lose certain privileges. Happens in the royal family as well. So if we take Diana, when she divorced Charles, she lost HRH, so like her royal highness, she lost that, but she got to keep Princess of Wales. So she was known as Diana, Princess of Wales. But if she married again, then she would lose the title of Princess of Wales as well along with the privileges that come with being Princess of Wales. So that's probably part of the reason why Prince Andrew's ex-wife, Sarah Ferguson, hasn't remarried, because it's the same for her as well. It just feels like scrote control, like trying to control women from beyond the grave, in that you stipulate that if she finds love again, that she's basically cut out of the will, even if she's given birth to your children. It's just really scrotey. Yeah, it's another way that men want to exert control. I mean, at least they're not forcing their wives to be slaughtered and buried with them anymore, because that used to be a thing. I think it's still a thing in some cultures, to be fair. Oh, no. Or like necrophilia. Yeah, if the man dies, they murder all his wives and force them to die with him and be buried with him. It's ridiculous. And like some Nigerian cultures as well, my mom was telling me, like, if a woman's husband dies, she has to, like, sleep with the corpse for, like, three days. What? 
Ew, it smells after like a couple of hours. Yeah, especially in Nigeria where it's kind of hot. Decomposition will be a bitch. Oh my God. But yeah, they always find a way to punish women. Men think they matter too much. Like, like stuff like this is just like, you're dead, my dude. Your body is literally rotting away. Why do you need to torture the living with your non-presence? And it's just a way to just antagonize women once again. Just a hundred percent. So, but back to the Titanic and the ship. So that was the, my short list of failos. Like, obviously, Titanic was. I mean, I'm not even sure if it was one of the worst maritime disasters in history. Because if you think about it, I wonder how many slave ship, you know, sunk in when you know the slave trade was like was super active. Like, how many slave ships sunk? But I feel like Titanic got a lot of press and attention because of its clientele. It had some of the richest people in the world on board at the time as well, which further added to its, I guess, prestige in history as being the unsinkable liner as well. But moving on to the halos, hopefully ending the episode on a lighter note, I would say Captain Smith. He made a lot of mistakes. Well, mistakes... I use lightly because at the time he was following standard practice. So, you know, the concept of going full speed ahead after getting ice warnings, you know, these were all standard practice at the time. He received light criticism for it, but you can't really, I guess, fault him for following the regulations when it was the regulations that were, you know, that weren't fit for purpose at the time. But he coordinated the women and children sign and he actually stayed on the ship until it sank. And his body was never recovered as a result of that. And he sort of personified like the British in the face of tragedy, we adopt a stiff upper lip sort of thing. So he's really in the UK, especially in his hometown. I think he's from Hanley. He's commemorated as sort of like the ideal captain because he was, yeah, essentially the last one off the ship, you know, when it sank. And of course he understood the laws of nature and the value of women and children, which wasn't always understood at that time, especially uh, especially when women didn't even have the right to vote in 1912. So yeah, Captain Smith is one. Halo, R.I.P. Um, the next one I would say is the ship's architect, Thomas Andrews. Again, he drowned and his body wasn't recovered. But during the evacuation of passengers, he was trying to muster the passengers so titanic didn't have a public announcement system so stewards and crew had to go manually door to door to wake up the passengers to tell them to get on deck to get on the boats which as you can imagine a ship of that size it would be quite the job but thomas andrews was seen by people you know actively being involved in the efforts to get as many people into the boats as possible because even when it was sinking, um, there were many, many people who, who preferred to stay on the ship than get in the boat in the middle of the Atlantic, which it sounds dumb, but it's like, I can, that sort of makes sense. Because if you have like a cozy stateroom and someone's telling you to get in this dingy boat in this freezing cold weather, you'd be like, nah, fuck that. But he was actually trying to convince people to get in the lifeboats. So, and ultimately he died as well. Special shout out goes to the crew in general, particularly the firemen and the stokers who remained in the bowels of the ship, basically ensuring that the lights remained on as the ship sank. And if you look at the number of crew, particularly firemen who survived, pretty much all of them died 
because the Titanic was running on coal at the time, that was what ships were running on. You know, the coal had to be manually shoveled to keep the lights on, to keep the energy going. And a lot of them remained in their post until the ship sank. So their survival rate was abysmally low as well. You know, which was unfortunate. I guess they were just doing their job in quotation marks, but the fact that they remained there until the end, despite, and also knowing that the ship was sinking because they were in the part of the ship where the water was entering in the most and the quickest as well. So special shout out to the crew of the Titanic. And then Arthur Rostron. So Arthur Rostron was the complete opposite to Stanley Lord. So he was the captain of the Carpathia ship, which received the, I want to say it's called Morse code, but I'm not sure if that basically the distress signal from the Titanic but the Carpathia was actually about six hours away from the Titanic when it sank. So Arthur Rostron basically went full speed ahead in the middle of the night to go and pick up what was left of the Titanic's passengers. And he was, you know, really, really lauded for that because he put his crew, his passengers and the ship and himself at great risk to get to the Titanic as soon as possible. But as a result of his actions, about 700 passengers were saved as a result of that. So that's quite interesting about the Titanic is that you can almost see like the contrast between, you know, similar characters. So you had the captain of the SS Californian being like, eh, probably nothing, went back to bed, you know, versus the captain of the Carpathia. He was like, yeah, shit, you know, something bad is happening. I'm going to go as quickly as possible. Bearing in mind, he had his own route to follow as well. And ships generally they don't really like to deviate from, you know, pre-planned routes even now, but he did that as well. And he was really, really well rewarded for it. And uh, the crew of the Carpathia as well, they made sure that there was medical supplies for the passengers. They, they made sure that the passengers of the Titanic were taken care of. And also they were the first people to relay the news to the wider world that the Titanic was gone, basically, as well. So yeah, in life, make sure you pick a Rostron and not a Lord, basically. But it was, I don't know, I just feel like the Titanic is, I mean, I guess like, I think like one of the, I guess, pros of having an industry such as, you know, marine activity that is basically male dominated, is that it's very, very easy to separate the men from the scrotes in most cases or the men who are acting in a more considered way than the other men. Because even within the Titanic, I wouldn't even say that any of the men in the story did anything wrong in quotation marks, but the Halos, they had a extra level of consideration for other people compared to the Phalos. Yeah, I mean, what I've read from a lot of different people who study tragedy and how people respond to tragedy is that the people who step up are not always the people who everyone would expect. And that essentially, sometimes people's instincts in times of tragedy are completely different from what they might have done in real life. And some people who are normally very timid or shy will suddenly find themselves like performing the greatest feats of heroism you would ever consider. And then other people who everyone expects and looks to to be the leader sometimes cower and crumble under the pressure and do really, really horrible, scrody things. And so it's 
it's an interesting breakdown of the split in behavior between the halos and the phalos on the Titanic. And it's like one of the questions I would always have if there was any further research is like, what was this person like before this tragedy? And then what were they like afterwards? And what was people's perception of them? Because I often feel like it could be totally different. So yeah, it's interesting to hear and inspiring to hear when we do see examples of great male heroism, but in a lot of ways, it's very, very much overblown. And a lot of times uh, based on myth and the people that do step up might not have been the people that anybody would look to, to be the hero. I mean, we've seen this even in, unfortunately, we've had so many school shootings here in the United States that sometimes it's like the quiet kid who really is the one that takes charge in tragedies like that, or someone who, you know, no one would expect to be the type of person to be so sacrificing for their peers and you just never know right (laughs) you just never know so it's just interesting as well like i think the titanic is a in some respects as well it's sort of like i think it was a good social litmus test because it was interesting that the women and children only order even though that contributed to the deaths of a lot of men so if you look at the death toll for titanic especially in third class most of the deaths you know, are men. But that decision wasn't criticised at the time. And it's interesting because, again, like I've said before, women and perhaps less so children because they were changing their attitude towards child labour, especially in the UK. But women were still seen very much as second-class citizens. And it wasn't even a case of even, you know, John Jacob Astor was denied boarding in favour of another woman, I think either from second or third class. Like, that was how strictly the crew on the Titanic enforced the women and only you know, the women and children only rule. And again, it's just that juxtaposition, like in, on that ship, you know, they were deemed to be, I guess, the most valuable cargo, so to speak. But elsewhere in the world, it was like, you know, women, you know, we're still having a rough time of it. And I think that sort of logic carries over even to this day where men recognize to some degree the value that women bring, hence why so many of them, they spend their lives trying to chase women or they don't get women they end up turning into incels and shooting up schools because they feel like they're missing out on something big but at the same time they will then go ahead and degrade you know women and devalue us you know it's just that male contradiction i think generally as well yeah they're a very confused gender confused or just i don't know cognitive dissonance that they're okay with i don't know but it was just interesting to just observe that as well and also again like capitalism like Roe touched on I mean we rant about capitalism a lot especially in our career series but capitalism also played a massive role in the sinking of the Titanic especially in terms of who lived and who died because again a lot of the third class passengers they were poor immigrants from various countries who didn't speak English and when they went down to the wreck of the Titanic they found that the railing that was used to separate third class passengers from the rest of the ship they actually locked it during the evacuation so basically they were stuck down there and like left to die basically which is absolutely horrific but even when i went on a cruise ferry i noticed that the more expensive cabins were closer to the lifeboats i felt so insulted like even though like obviously everyone has a seat on a lifeboat now but still like the people who pay more will get them first you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) basically fuck capitalism but that's some next bullshit surely like and it's like okay yeah everybody has a seat but especially when a ship is sinking like time is 
of the essence. Like if you get onto a lifeboat first, you are probably at a bigger advantage and have a much better chance of surviving than somebody who has to travel further along the ship to get to a lifeboat, even if there's a seat for everybody. So yeah, that's the story of the Titanic, the actual story of the Titanic. And I do want to touch on the fact that, you know, what Rose said about sometimes, you know, when we look back on disasters, you know, some of the actors are given a role that's perhaps more inflated. And I definitely feel like the 1997 film very much leaned into that aside from the door floating thing. But yeah, they sort of, you know, personified Captain Smith as this very principled character, which by contemporary accounts he was, he was very committed to his profession and his craft. But there were also accounts from passengers on the ship as well, where, you know, after Captain Smith realised the magnitude of what was happening, he sort of almost had a panic attack, basically, and was giving out inconsistent orders Again, which is understandable given the context that he was in, but that was just something else that I just wanted to note as well. So yeah, that is the a whistle stop tour of the true story of the Titanic. And I do feel like, especially in Britain, Captain Smith has sort of set he sort of, you know, set the bar for captains on cruise ships in a lot of ways. Bravas, Savannah, for this wonderful story and research. <laughs> this research. Yeah, let me know also if you have any historical figures that you would like us to cover in this series from an FDS perspective. I've had a few requests already, but if there's anyone in particular, it can be a halo or a phalo in male history. Do let us know. Yes, that's our show. Check us out on Twitter at femdeathstrat or on our website, thefemaledatingstrategy.com talk about this episode there on the forum also check out our patreon patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy and on instagram at underscore the female dating strategy thanks for listening queens and for all you scrotes out there why be a phalo when you can be a halo die mad see y'all next week bye